0: hello and welcome to the uk personal finance show with phil anderson the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need this is episode 85 where in a moment we look at critical illness cover that's today's show topic and it's on the way like i say in just a second but Please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access it all simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows because in our programmes to date, we featured loads of stuff. Mortgages, pensions, investing, life insurance, and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. Last week, we looked at how to help if you're having problems paying your mortgage. Remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything forensically. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and you'll get us there. Like I say, an enormous resource all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. Then that way you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis. With me as always, this star of our show, it's Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you today? Good, thank you. Now, here's the subject I know we've featured in the past, but largely speaking, it's been in shows where... We've been addressing a larger product or a broader spectrum. This is the first time, I think, we've dealt with critical illness cover in its own right. So we we might as well begin with a general definition of what it is.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think we've touched on it in in some shows when we've been speaking about other things, but probably the the best way to describe critical illness cover, or sometimes it's known as CIC, that's C-I-C, critical illness cover, It pays out, it's an insurance policy that pays out a cash sum should you be diagnosed with a critical illness. Now, that cash sum, it can be used to pay off a mortgage, pay off debts, it can be used to maintain your standard of living. You might use it to pay for private treatments. But if you're diagnosed with one of the critical illnesses, it pays out a a lump sum. I was having a look, and now, according to Royal London, they're one of the the, kind of main players in the, the critical illness market. 89% of the claims that they paid out in 2020 were for just five things. People being diagnosed with cancer, heart attack, stroke, multiple sclerosis, and coronary artery bypass. So that that gives you a a feel for the types of things that they pay out on. Critical illness cover. it can cover much more than just those five things. I mean, some of the other things that it covers, things like motor neuron disease, Alzheimer's disease, blindness, kidney failure, the, the list is, is really comprehensive and it, it can
0: go on and on, really. Is it worth having, Phil? I mean, I assume it only pays out in the event of, of being action. There's no sum coming to you in any event otherwise.
1: And I, I had a look at some of the statistics and you're much more likely to suffer a critical illness before the age of 65 than what you are to actually die. For a man aged 40, you reckon that there's about a one in four chance that they'll suffer a heart attack, life-threatening cancer or stroke by the time they get to age 70. The odds there, it's all kind of weighing that up, and everyone's different. Some people have more health issues than other, but one good thing, if someone does have a critical illness, nowadays, because of medical advances, in many cases, that person can go on to survive and in, in a lot of cases make a, a good recovery as well. And how, having critical illness cover in place, it just means that you don't have to rush back to work. It could mean that you can use the payout, as I say, to, to maybe pay for private treatment. So it's there as a buffer to try and make things less stressful at a time when life could be pretty difficult for you at that point, depending on what you've had.
0: I guess this is a $64,000 kind of question, but I mean, how much cover should you have? Really depends
1: on on a number of different things. Things like how many dependents you have. So I have I've six kids. So for me, it's probably more important to have more cover. Also things like how much debts do you have, mortgage, credit cards, looking at all of that. It, it's also worth considering. I, I always feel like what sickness benefits you get from your employer so do you get any sick pay from them so some people will be lucky they might have six months full pay six months half pay for others they don't have anything at all so that's always something that will take into account when you're looking at how much cover you you should have and I mean I've seen some people look to take out additional cover as well not only to cover a mortgage but maybe to cover other debts also pay extra to, to cover I don't know, like things like if they wanted to get private treatment done, if, if they ever had a claim. And I, I would say well, there's no right or wrong answer for, for how much cover you should have, but this is where a good financial advisor can kind of come into play. They, they can assess like from person to person, your, your needs will change, but they mm. can look and say, right, what's your budget? How much can you afford? How much cover do you, you need? They can sort of help you assess all of that. And if, if someone's unsure, There's a really good tool that we've got on the Phil Anderson Financial website. If you go to philandersonfinancial.co.uk slash insurance, you'll see there's a button there and it it gives you an idea just of, of kind of some indicative quotes where you can it'll say to you look if you take out so much life cover it'll cost this if you add in critical illness it'll cost this it asks questions like how many dependents do you have what mortgage do you have and you, you fill in all the figures and it'll suggest kind of figures for you so it's a really good tool for for anybody there so it's philandersonfinancial.co.uk insurance and you'll just see the the kind of Button there that you can click on just to to try and help you. But I I would say it is good to speak to a financial advisor or a protection specialist about that. The thing with critical illness cover as well, there's policies where the level of cover remains the same. You can get policies where it decreases, maybe in line with a mortgage. And you can also get your cover to increase each year. The policy that I've got, each year it goes up by a certain percentage because I know that the cost of living is going up, especially at the moment. So a lot of different types of policies and, and ins and outs, but cost-wise it can vary an, an awful lot, depending on someone's age and, and things as well.
0: And I suppose, I mean, you, you're going to have situations as well where a financial advisor helps you work out the amount of cover that you you know, you know, would need to spread across everything, all your responsibilities, all your financial outgoings. Yeah. And then they're going to look at your, your income and say, well, look, do you know what? It would be remiss of us to advise that you spend that much because you don't have it to spend in comparison to all the other stuff in your bill. So presumably they will then help you find a level of cover that you're happy with and covers the the sort of broad bones of what you need to to make work.
1: Yeah, definitely. When I was a mortgage advisor years ago, I I always used to print off three quotes for for clients. And I would say to them, look, here's option one, where it covers you for pretty much everything. And and a lot of times you would find that that would maybe be out with their budget because, and then, then I would always say, right, look, here's a second and third quote. It's always good to have a better cover, even if you yeah. couldn't afford, for, for example, if you wanted to cover your whole mortgage for life insurance and critical illness cover, you might look at the premium and think, oh, I don't know if I can really afford all of that, but it's, it's really an important thing to consider. And even if you had a better cover, it's, something is better than, than nothing.
0: Exactly. So, you know, if you're, if you've got a 100- hundred, K left in your mortgage and, and you're covered for 50, you're covered for half and at least that's something. Yeah, definitely.
1: It Same it, as well, if you've if you got a joint mortgage, you might think, right, if we're both working, even cover half the mortgage and that way, if one makes a claim, yeah. the other one's still working to pay the other half. So th- there's
0: different ways you can look at it. Again, this will be um, relevant to, depending on what cover you take, I assume, but is it expensive, Full in general terms?
1: It, there's different things that impact the price, I would say, at someone's age. I mean, the younger you are, when you take out a policy, generally the, the cheaper the premiums will be because the insurers will think that, it's like the younger you are, less likely they'll they'll pay out a claim. It used to be in the past that it differed for for men and women, but there was a regulation came in a few years back where insurance had to be priced the same for for each, so that no longer applies. But things like if you're a smoker, you're going to pay more for cover because, again, insurance companies think that you're going to be more likely to have cancer, for example, than a non-smoker. Other things like your health, things like your, your weight, your body mass index—that's got to impact on on the premiums. Things like family medical history, also your occupation, will impact on on the costs as well. Because let let's say someone's a builder, they're going to probably be more likely to have some of these things than perhaps an office worker would. So your your occupation can can impact the the
0: cost of things as well. The the definitions of what's covered very much from provider to provider. They do One thing I would say is that
1: all, all the providers have got a minimum standard right. that they've got to, to cover. You, you've got what's called the, the Association of British Insurers, or ABI, they're often referred to. They, they've got kind of like minimum standards in place that the companies have got to adhere to. But may, many of the providers now, they go above and beyond the, the ABI definitions. And again, I mean, what, one thing that we use... In in my work, is we, we've got a tool called CI Expert, so Critical Illness Expert. It's something that we we pay a subscription to. And it's great because it looks at all the different things covered by by each of the providers. But what it also does, it can compare policies that you've taken out years ago. Because some, some policies, I mean, to give you an example, some older policies will cover angioplasty. Now, on some of the newer policies, they, they didn't cover that. So what we do is we're way up and say, right, what are you covered for at the minute if you've got an existing plan and what do the new policies kind of pay out on? I mean, some of the new policies as well, They some of them, they've got extra benefits. I mean, like legal in general now, they allow you to add things on like fracture cover. It costs an extra £5.90 a month. They also include the standard things like wellbeing support. Uh, Quite a few of the providers do do that sort of thing. So if you're ever unwell, you've got access to to like nurses online where you can speak to them and and stuff. And again, comparing like legal in general, they've also got what's called critical illness extra, where again, you can pay an extra premium and you're covered for a lot more things. So it, it is a bit of a minefield when you're comparing policies because, All the providers do tend to cover a lot of different things. They've got a lot of added benefits that they they can have on there. And that's why I would say rather than maybe using a comparison website for this sort of thing, I do think people are better off speaking to a financial advisor or protection specialist who can advise them all the ins and outs of the different plans available.
0: You mentioned earlier in the episode, I think it was something like 89%. Of this one provider, claims were one of five things, and it was the sort of five, you know, the five biggies. What sort of claims record do providers have in general? Yeah, you
1: tend to find when, like, cancer, heart attack, stroke, they're the three big ones that that are tend to pay out on more than than anything else. Looking at, I mean, I I mentioned Royal London as well. These claim statistics are from twenty twenty. We didn't have last year's. Sort of statistics yet, but Royal London in 2020 they paid out 92.4% of all the critical illness claims that were made. The average age at the time of a claim with them was age 50. Looking at Aviva, they're another big player in the the critical illness protection market. Their statistics were similar 92.7% of the critical illness claims that were made with them were, were paid out. And in that year, they actually paid out over £314 million in critical illness claims. So we're looking at some significant amounts of money being paid out here. And when we look at the main reasons that insurers don't, pay out, you tend to find that it's sometimes because someone's trying to claim for something that isn't covered. Also, it might be that somebody maybe doesn't meet the specific definition. So for example, I'm saying cancer is covered, but you'll tend to find that if it's less advanced cases, then it may not be be covered. So that's the main reasons why insurers don't pay out some of the claims. And also another reason is that sometimes people have failed to disclose something at the time when they they applied, So for example, if someone was maybe a diabetic and didn't disclose that, or if their parents had died something at a certain age, which might be hereditary, and they didn't put that down, there's various reasons. But looking at the claims payouts, most of the insurers, their their payouts on critical illness cover tend to be over 90%. So they're they're paying out about at least nine in every 10 claims. But that's why I always say to folks, it's really important when you are Setting up a policy to make sure that it's done properly and that you answer all the, the kind of questions truthfully and honestly. Is it something that you've come across much in the past, Phil? You mean like people making out, I uh, making claims, or? Well, no, just in, in in general
0: terms. You know, is it something that you see being actioned a lot?
1: I mean, I I've seen a lot of claims over the the years, and and sadly, the longer I've been in financial services, the more. I seem to to see them. We've never had any claims, as far as I know, that haven't paid out. I remember, like, once, you you always kind of... When you know someone's making a claim, that's it. You're always looking at it thinking, right, I hope everything is really watertight. And fortunately, up till now, with with ourselves, it it has been. But, I mean, I have seen the difference that it can make to people by having this kind of cover in place. And and according to legal in general one in two people in the UK will be diagnosed with cancer during their lifetime, which is quite a staggering kind of figure really as well. So it is something that's important to to give consideration to taking some kind of
0: cover out for. Mm, I'm assuming you feel that um, there'd be some kind of medical involved for applying for for critical illness cover. And a bunch of questions as well with, you know, maybe the possibility of them saying something like, right, we won't cover you for this because... There's a family history of it, so we're not prepared yep. to cover it in your policy.
1: That's it. yeah, sometimes the insurers will make certain exclusions or they might, depending on the reason, they might increase the, the premium. So, right. for example, if you were really overweight when you take out the cover, what you'll tend to find then is that they, they might load the premiums. Right, you're an awful lot more likely. So they might are more likely to make a claim. So they might put the premium up by 50%, 100%. Who knows? Sometimes they'll say, no, we can't give you cover at all. Oh, wow. But when you apply, insurers will ask things like your height and weight. They'll ask you about medical history as well. And like I say, there are instances where they may come back with certain exclusions or say, right. I've had ones in the past where maybe somebody's had a history of mental health illnesses and the insurers said, right, we're not going to cover you if you have something as a result of for example, suicide or self harm—that that's the type of thing that insurers can sometimes make exclusions for.
0: Suppose you know when they say you know we're not we're not going to cover you or we're not prepared to cover it. It could be quicker than getting an appointment at the doctor. What are the, the the main differences between critical illness cover and and the likes of income protection? Phil, because I always get these mixed up. Income protection yeah, is, is more to cover you when you're off, isn't it? Is
1: critical illness cover usually tends to pay out a lump sum, whereas. Income protection usually would tend to pay an amount each month until you went back to work. Now, there are some overlaps between them, but to to give you an idea, some, some of the things that income protection policies tend to cover that critical illness policies don't would usually be things like backache and stress. So if someone's off work for that, an income protection policy may pay out for that, whereas a critical illness policy it's looking at more when you're diagnosed with more serious things. Mm -hmm. So like I say, things like cancer, heart attack, stroke, but it can also be things like if you've been in intensive care, kidney failure, liver failure, loss of hands or foot, loss of speech, major organ transplant, mentioned things like MS earlier. There's a whole host of things. You've got some bizarre things in there. I mean, you'll be... A similar age to me, John, where you remember like mad cow disease, the oh, yeah. old CJD, it pays out on things like that. But realistically, I, I doubt they've probably had many claims for that in recent years because you never hear you know, that sort of thing these days. Yeah.
0: creutzfeldt jakob syndrome. There you go.
1: I, I'm glad you pronounced that because I was <laughs> <have> a
0: go. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing here as well. I mean, these policies, they're probably of more use to you if you're self-employed. I mean, you might have a degree of cover through an employer, for instance.
1: It's probably important for for everyone, but I suppose if you are employed, sometimes you you might have things like death in service or you might have more sick pay benefits than someone that's self-employed, but you you do tend to find that there's very few insurers that will actually offer critical illness cover as an actual benefit. So I always say to people, go and check what you do have through your work, check your sick pay, do they have that option where you, you can have like critical illness cover through your work. But I, I would say for most people, critical illness cover is something that it should really give consideration to.
0: When it comes to providers of a critical illness policy, Phil, you said earlier, it's it's not the easiest thing to go on a sort of compare yeah. website. So how do you compare them? I mean, we, we use that tool called, called CI Expert. But again, we, we pay for that every month.
1: So I mean, that's a great thing. Our, our advisors are used to using that. And like I say, we pay a subscription for that. I mean, you, you can go on comparison websites to look up critical illness cover, but you, you'll tend to find, unlike life cover, which is simple—if you die, it pays out. So, there you could say, right, the cheapest is X. We'll go with them, but critical illness cover is—it's a lot more in depth and a lot more. I do like to use the word complicated, but there's a lot more to it. So. I would definitely recommend to people, speaking to a financial advisor, they can look at their their individual needs. They can find the best policy that's out there for them. And like I say, they can also look at things like their their budgets and see what's affordable to them and and take it from there. Whereas you go on a price comparison website, it'll list such and such as the cheapest. You, You also get some policies that are called low start policies. And what happens there is that the premiums are cheaper for maybe an initial period, but then they jump up after that. So, again, it maybe looks a a really cheap one, but in the long run, you could end up paying a lot more with that type of thing.
0: mentioned this in passing earlier, Phil, when I was talking about medicals and the like, but what's the, the sort of standard process for applying for this sort of thing? Do they ask lots of medical questions?
1: There's quite a few questions that they'll ask. I mean, if you're applying, I mean, most insurers these days, you you tend to apply online. But if you're doing it through a financial advisor or a protection specialist, they'll do all of that for you. So sometimes they'll sit and go through the questions. Some companies nowadays, what they like to do is actually arrange a time to phone you up and and go through the questions with you over the phone. Because I I must admit, like in in years gone by, when I was going through some of the things, I couldn't pronounce (laughs) <laughs> some of the things and the questions that they they had never mind know what they actually were you tended to find though if, if someone had some of the things that they ask have you ever had such and such if someone had had it they would tend to know what it was and like i say sometimes i take clients correct me no, Oh, it's you actually pronounced like this i'm like oh great you didn't read like but so some some insurers will actually call you up to, to go through the questions as well but if you're using a financial advisor, most of the time they'll tend to do all of that sort of things for you yeah.
0: I seem to remember and I can't I, I can't recall whether it was for critical illness or maybe something like life insurance or, you know, some something of, of that nature. So it might not be critical illness. But I do remember when I applied, they said, right, OK, what you need to do, we've made an appointment for you, go along to your doctor and your doctor will give you, you know, a, a quick medical examination. Ask a few questions, and that will supply everything that we need. Does that sort of thing still happen, or is it not? Sometimes so
1: you, you'll find I had someone just recently, they had applied for a lot of cover. It was like about a million pounds worth of cover, they had a really big mortgage. And because of the limit that they were applying for, they had to see like a, a nurse who I think took their height and weight. I don't know if they did like blood tests and stuff but sometimes the insurers will look at it and and what they'll do in some occasions is they'll write to the doctor and say right we'll get your permission write to your gp request some of your medical details now there's a cost for that but the insurers pay that cost so for the the person applying they don't have to pay anything which is great the only downside because gp surgeries are quite busy just now with the after effects of, of covid and things Sometimes it can take a while for them Mm. to write back with with the information. So the insurance companies I know spend a fair bit of time chasing up the the GPs just now. Okay. If you make a claim, Phil, does your policy just stop? In in most cases, it usually would, but some, some providers offer what's called buyback cover. and I know there, there was one provider, they used to do this. I think it was a, a cost of about £25 a year that they, they used to charge for it. And what happens there is if you make a claim for one thing, they then allow you to keep, if you've got this buyback cover, you can then actually keep the policy going, which gives you cover again, because it can be quite a valuable benefit, because if you do make a claim for something... Your chances of getting cover again in the future might be it might be difficult to get. So again, that's the sort of thing that if you go on a comparison website, then you get to take in like that and account and all these extra things that you can build in. So things like buyback cover, again, that's something that, that financial advisors would be speaking to their clients about.
0: Mm, might not be something you you want to do, but it, it, as you say, it could make sense if it, there's the choice between being covered for you know four out of the five things that you didn't have yeah. and not getting cover again at all for anything, then then it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. See, so I'd say you, you might have, for example, life and critical illness cover to pay off your mortgage. Now,
1: great if, if you make a claim and the mortgage is paid off, fine, but what then happens if you suffer another critical illness mm-hmm. I get it. So you might then spend a lot of time off work because of it. So at least if you've got this buyback cover, it can be a really valuable benefit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, is this a policy where you could take out as a couple and a joint scheme, or does it make more sense to take a plan each? You, you can take out single life
1: policies, or you can, take out, you can take out either a joint policy or two single policies. You, you tend to find if you take out two single policies, The costs generally tend to be about 10% more doing that. One valuable thing with that is that, again, if one makes a claim, the other one has still got cover in place as well. You you do also tend to find that most critical illness policies are done on the the basis that they, they call it life or earlier critical illness. So you've often got life insurance and critical illness combined in a policy. And if that was the case and you had joint policies, sorry, two separate policies, let's say a couple died in a car crash, it would actually then pay out twice. So some people often say, oh, you've got double the cover, but the costs are only about 10% more. So Mm -hmm. again, that's something that's worth kind of considering as well. But for some people, they just want the the cheapest that pay out each month that they're making, whereas others will, will be happy to pay a little bit more, but have that more cover between the two of
0: them. Yeah, I'm just wanting to clarify this this one point with you, Phil, and it's going to sound morbid, I know, but are you saying that if you've got a joint policy, then it, it will only pay out on one disease regardless? So let's say one of you is struck down with a, a stroke. Yeah. The policy is therefore not going to pay out on a stroke again because one of you has already had it. Yeah, again, unless you had likes so of the buyback cover, yeah. whereas most people generally
1: don't tend to have that included in their plans. The ones I've reviewed in the past anyway but if you had two single policies, if one made a claim, the other person has still got a cover in place as well. So, again, it's that's something to give thought to is to say, right, do we want to have a, a joint policy? Also as well, I mean, you're only thinking about this when you take cover out, but if someone separated, they've then got a policy they can keep themselves in the future as well. Yeah, so yeah. that's just another kind of added benefit of having two
0: single policies as well. I'm desperately trying to get my head to steer away from a 3 strokes in the out critical illness cover joke at this point in time. I won't do it, I promise. Is there a point in your lifetime where, where a provider won't issue you for, for critical illness cover?
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you'll tend to find as well that the older you get, the higher the premiums are going to be because you're more likely to, to have something the older you, you get. Legal in general, they've got a maximum age for, for taking out cover at 67 if you take cover out at that time, the maximum age that you can actually take it up until is 75. Aviva, another one, they'll let you take cover out up to the age of 75, but the maximum age to apply with them is 64. So all the different companies have got slightly different rules regarding that. But you you will find, I mean, if you were in your 60s taking out cover, the premiums are going to be a heck of a lot more than someone taking out, maybe in their 20s or
0: 30s. I guess, if anything, though, it's a kind of a reflection on the fact that we all seem to be working for longer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to summarize, Phil, then, what, what are our key takeaway points? What Who does this appeal to most? How does it work? How do you find the best deal? All of that, please, just summarise for me.
1: Yeah, I'd probably say that the key takeaway point is speak to a financial advisor. Like I say, the options can be a bit more complex than, than some other insurances that you might look to, to take out. A financial advisor, they can assess your needs, look at how much cover you maybe need, how much you can afford as well is, is another factor. Another couple of big takeaways I would say is be honest. But If you are applying, be honest about your medical history when, when you're applying for any cover, because that's something that's, that's vitally important. You don't want to maybe have a claim in the future that they don't pay out because something wasn't mentioned when you took out the policy. And, and another thing as well is to, to note is if you do have a cover already in place, it's from time to time, it's good to review that as well because policies change. The definitions of what companies will cover changes. Like I say, a lot of these companies are, are having like additional critical illnesses that they, they cover on, on some of the new policies and another thing I would say if you ever replace a policy never cancel it until any new cover is up and running at terms that are acceptable to you because I've seen it in the past where folk have thought right I'll apply for something else and maybe they got it or the premium's been increased for whatever reason and then you're like oh no you shouldn't have cancelled your, your existing policy so that, that's an important thing as
0: well. Just when you mentioned it there, Phil, just in passing, when you said you know if you if you're going to change policy or move from one to another, don't cancel it before you take out the next one. Yeah. Do people bother with getting more than one of this type of policy at any point?
1: Yeah, I mean that that's one thing. I mean, I've I've came across like in in the past, I've maybe had clients that have had a really good policy. Some some plans are more flexible than others. Years ago, I, I used to use Scottish Provident a lot. They they had excellent cover at the time they, they got taken over by royal london but they, they used to have what was called a menu plan theirs were really flexible if you moved house they would allow you to maybe keep part your existing cover in place and top it up with a new policy with some providers again it's weighing up what you've got already compared to what's on the marketplace now and and if you find that, that there may be reasons you would think right just keep that policy but you've maybe now got kids so let's Take out a top-up policy. You can have more than than one. Again, when you're applying insurers, will maybe ask about any existing policies that you've got. They want to know how much cover you've got in place overall. So um, they, they're looking out for not, not so much fraud, but they, they're looking at different things as well and thinking right, why has somebody got cover in place for, for certain amounts? So insurers will kind of look at that sort of thing as well.
0: Do they ever get a situation where you get a second opinion sort of situation whereby one insurer has decided they will not in, uh, they will not cover you for cancer in your lifetime because there's a, a familial history whereas you go to another provider and they maybe agree to or is it all pretty much and such?
1: No, they, they can vary from from company to company and right. we, we, we've had ones in the past where we've applied for someone and maybe one company said right. Your your premium's going to be doubled. And then you try somebody else, and they're like, oh no, we're we'll increase it by but only by say 25%. So it, it can vary. And you, you've got companies out there, for example, we we've companies, if you're a type two diabetic, some companies want to give you critical illness cover, whereas others will consider it. So the things like that, like this the company's criteria does change from from company to company.
0: Okay, here we go, Phil, then as we enter into the part of the show where you share a little bit of your own life story, what have you got regarding this one on critical illness cover? And I,
1: I've got critical illness cover myself, you, you do tend to find that financial advisors and people who work in financial services, they often tend to have critical illness insurance, the uptake tends to be a lot more because they, they've seen it, like mm. people make claims in, in the past, and they kind of appreciate the the benefit that it it brings you I mean there there was one chap that I used to work with his wife had MS and he had two critical illness cover plans and one was to pay off his mortgage and then the other one provided an extra lump sum so that kind of put him in a a good position financially and as far as I know I don't I think her MS is just too bad I think when they made the claim a lot was dependent on what the doctor put back to to the company about how it was because I, I think with MS it, it, I think, I, I know like Aviva, for example, they pay out where there's been symptoms, whereas for some people with MS, they did not have the same symptoms. Yeah. So I, I've seen it, like, I mean, that that was somebody that used to work for us. So I, I've seen really close examples of people having
0: made claims in the past. Mm. Or, you know, there's the likes of, just use a famous example, there's, uh, there's Brian Irvin, former Aberdeen footballer. Yeah who was diagnosed with MS, gave up his career because of it, and he hasn't had an episode since he was diagnosed. So, yeah, it it swings and roundabouts with, with that one, certainly. And Phil, we always do this bit as well. You find inspiration through various people you admire, and you love a quote. What have you got on the subject of today's show, Critical Illness Cover?
1: The quote I've got today is from someone called Patrick Flannery. Do something
0: today that your future self will thank you for. Fantastic. Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, please do. As always, we can ask them anonymously if you wish. Let's get on to this week's contact details coming up in a second. Give it to you after this. Here's our first question. Hi, Phil. I've recently been informed my role is within scope for potentially being made redundant. It's not happened to me before. I'm 52. I'm wondering if certain factors such as my age would point me in one direction or another with a view to voluntary redundancy. And also which type of redundancy offer I'd be best advised to accept. Do you have any advice? In in the UK,
1: you've got two different types of redundancy. You've got statutory redundancy pay. that's what the law says that you're entitled to. And then you can also get what's called contractual redundancy pay. And that's extra money that you might get because your contract says that you can get a top-up of the the statutory amount. What I would say is that you'd be best checking your contract to see if you would get anything on top of the statutory redundancy pay. If you're a member of a union, a good starting point might be to go and speak to them in the, the first instance as well. And likewise... Any HR department at your work would maybe be able to keep you right with, with that sort of things as well.
0: It's horrible, isn't it, when you've been told you're within scope, though, and you 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 know you then got to wait for a period and you just don't know. Um, yeah. Next is one from Ian in Brighton. Hi, Phil. I want to check something with you. Recently, with the way we're being squeezed, for the first time in my life, I've fallen behind with my income tax payments. I'm self-employed. I've sorted a time-to-pay arrangement. Could this affect my credit score?
1: In- income tax payments generally won't show on your credit file, so it's not going to have an impact on like your credit rating or credit score. One thing I would say is that if if you weren't to keep that up, I mean, HMRC could, if, if someone was made bankrupt because of this kind of debt, then that's going to cause you major issues trying to get credit maybe in the, the future. So mm. you do want to try and keep up with that where you, you can. But as a general rule of thumb, no is, is the-, the kind of answer to that
0: one. Would you say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a lot of topics now and we may have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thank you for joining us for the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for Finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. Or why not email Phil a question you can answer on a future show. His address is Phil at. PhilAndersonFinancial.co.uk. That's Phil at PhilAndersonFinancial.co.uk. Send him your question. Like I said, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured, we won't use your real name if that's how you'd prefer it. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please also follow us on Apple or whatever it is that you get your podcast. That way, you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time, and thanks for listening.
1: Thanks, John.